0: Welcome to a new episode of Reproducibility. I'm Amy Orban in Cambridge, and today I am joined by Sophia Kruwel. Hi. In Berlin and Sam Parsons. Hello. In Oxford. Um, as you hear, uh Sam has had after a long day's work. <laughs> um Yeah. So, anyways, we um What we're recording now is the start of a new series um, of eight shorter podcasts, all about um, 20 to 25 minutes long, that all center around the course that I'm giving to grad students, this term at the University of Cambridge called psychology as a robust science. Um, The syllabus is online and we can link to it. But we were discussing how we can maybe integrate this sort of Teaching element or reflection element into our our podcast to allow people to kind of follow follow a bit of what the the lectures are um, over the airwaves, I guess. Yeah, um, but but we can if we we did try this out, and if we just talk about each lecture, it just ends up being me trying to lecture while we're also trying to like discuss and be fun and and it just doesn't really work so what we're doing <laughs> yeah it, it was a uh, it was definitely a, a kind of rubbish
1: uh try I mean it was a great conversation for us
2: yeah just trying to fit like an an hour-long lecture and a discussion into a half an hour recording is difficult right
0: Yeah, we've. So we're not doing that. that. We're not going to do that. We're going to treat that as like the pancake that you put in the pan first and that is always a bit crappy. So you don't serve those to your guests.
1: And now, you, our listeners, are going to get the golden pancake.
0: The most ultimate of pancakes.
2: It's going to be huge. we am going to start adding the random stuff that we end up commenting in episodes, like as the episode name, just <laughs> the golden pancake. <laughs> just... There um, we go. Why not?
0: Well, our golden pancake today, I actually really like pancakes, um, is so more or less what we're doing is that we're going to focus in on a piece of the lecture that one is maybe the most interesting or might lead to kind of the most interesting discussions um and so in a way you're getting the kind of cool discussion bit of the lecture yeah am I selling that yeah okay I'm getting the thumbs up
1: <laughs> I'm getting the thumbs up oh, it's because we just moved back to skype and pretty like the last couple of episodes we didn't we weren't able to see each other and now I'm confused. Anyway, yes, yes. So, um,
0: the first episode, the first episode, the first lecture was about um, just kind of what the problem is, but also did a lot of things of kind of reflecting on what is kind of what do we actually do as scientists, um, and what are the rules and and kind of ethics that we abide by, and I kind of core set of slides focused in around Merton's norms and I've become increasingly interested in Merton's norms and kind of Merton's early work in the 1940s in the last couple of weeks um and so we're going to discuss about Merton's ideas on science today that's our pancake
1: pancake time <laughs> uh did you right Amy who's Merton <laughs>
0: Who's Merton? Uh Merton was this guy. Uh What was his Robert Merton? Oh god. I think
1: Robert. Yeah, Robert
0: Merton. I'm like doing the quick Google. <laughs> but um Robert Merton did a lot of so he was in the United States working on kind of sociology of science and In a way, in the work that I've been reading, he's really seen as one of those first pioneers of sociology of science, really reflecting on what scientists do. Um, And this kind of Merton's norms was something he wrote quite early on in his career, which is a set of ideas around kind of how scientists should behave. And we'll discuss more about this in the episode. But he also has some interesting ideas about kind of what is a science as well. Um, And so I thought we should start with that. So um, in his 1942 paper, Merton, um, he starts really nicely because he says that science is like a really inclusive word. You know, science can mean so many things if you're saying, saying this word. And he says that actually to really understand what we do, we need to start understanding what we mean by science and that there's actually three different things. So if the first is that science is like a set of methods that we use, that we call science and scientific. The second is that science is all the knowledge that we have accumulated because we've done science. Uh, and then the third is that science are these cultural values and these morals that um, that these kind of, the ones that govern these ver- these activities that we call science again. Um, and I, I don't know, I was just interested in kind of i thought it was quite interesting thinking of like what do we get taught when we get taught science you know and how does that fit into merton's definitions of science but yeah that's my question
2: i don't know (laughs) i mean maybe it's different depending on like where you are and what sort of science area you're in like i i don't remember any discussion of merton in my undergrad for example or any of these norms kind of like here's the scientific method as like one of those neat circular slides and and that's what we do and therefore we're a science and don't don't say that we're not please in this super like defensive psychology way and then like that was my whole exposure to almost like philosophy of science so it's quite nice to actually like go through this kind of stuff and reflect a little bit more
1: how many how many norms do we have again
0: Oh, these aren't the norms, hun.
1: Oh, this is just a general, yeah. Okay, yeah, sorry. so okay, we haven't actually gotten to Burton's norms, but Burton has. Okay, so we're literally just at the like idea of like what is what is what is what is science?
0: Yeah, because I I think I think his. Like the, what I found really interesting is that he had these kind of three different perspectives on science, you know, one science is the method, two, science is a facts, and three, science is actually, you know, these cultures we prescribe to, or uh, when we start doing science
1: and like, personally. No, but then like, so like what, what, what we're taught in undergrad, at least is just the knowledge side of things. It's just like, have all of these facts. For some reason, also know, like it's kind of, it seemed, at least to me, it seemed like for some reason it was more important to know the name and year than it was to know anything about how the study worked and be able to tell us something about this uh, in a, in a three-hour exam. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Not ideal. Yeah. <laughs> well, because like more or less, I was thinking, you know, what do you, I think we need to know all three to be... You know, to actually do our job well, and we need to reflect about all three, but yeah, we're often often well at first you know even at school, you get taught the facts, so the kind of second part of his definition and then I do think that in undergrad, you start getting taught a bit of methods in a way like. This is the, while not kind of explicit that this is the methodology and the theory testing paradigms we ascribe to by calling ourselves a science, but a bit like here's what we, how we do our statistical tests, here's how we run our experiment. And so I I think that that then becomes increasingly important this fruit, the kind of methods side of his definition over time when we progress in science cuz I guess we start doing more and more of it ourselves but then we never really get taught about these kind of morals and values and kind of really think about them you just assume that you know them intrinsically or that you you know just perceive them in real life at all times
1: I mean, so I don't know. I, I'm not sure if I in, entirely agree with that um, because, so yeah, we're not like you're not taught norms specifically, but probably like implicitly, there's there's some idea about what, um, like, what sci- I don't know, but I'm not sure if that like sort of what scientists do kind of thing. But I'm not sure if that kind of counts as a because, like, I mean, I, but like I'm not sure if it actually goes beyond the sort of general idea of a scientist. Well, actually, I don't know. Did you? I don't know if Amy, if if this was the same for you, Amy. But in one of um my, I think the first lectures of f- final year in psychology, um, one of the lecturers asked, uh, like, asked the sort of the general crowd, like, who of, who of you here wants to uh, be published in Nature sometime? Did you get that? No. Oh, that was it. Was the, the main the main reason why I, why why I remember this was because I was like having just switched from psychology, from philosophy, I was like, what's, what's nature? Um, <laughs> um And so like, lot, lot, like everyone was like raising their hands. And so I wonder whether like that kind of thing is, ki- is also kind of teaching cultural values if it's, because that's, that's kind of going, that's kind of saying we do care about prestige, like, you know? Yeah. It's not, maybe not, that's not a great cultural value, but like, isn't that, isn't that kind of, isn't talking about those kind of things and uh, yeah and making making it very clear that that's desirable isn't that also
2: talking about yeah. values well that's maybe the important thing like thinking about the the teaching of all three of these kind of aspects is really important because if you miss the cultural values aspects which i guess are essentially the norms that we'll talk about shortly but if you don't kind of make that explicit then the implicit sets in and all the implicit norms and not quite meeting the standards of, the <laughs> of Merton's norms. And I think that's kind of maybe the, the scope of the issue that we'll get to, perhaps.
0: Yeah, I guess, like, for me, what Sophia said kind of is that we learn about what it means to be a scientist in a kind of ethical and, and norm way by looking at what other people do. You know, if I remember back to the when I taught social psych uh to undergrads, you know, we talk about these norms and how we pick them up on the go. And that's what we're doing. And I sometimes I felt like when I started this course, you know, I'm actually reteaching norms because they're because they're not norms, but they should be, you know, <laughs> like maybe that's the thing is that we we need to be we're kind of in a system where our our actual norms that we are are shown by kind of people that teach as an undergrad and you know, when we start going into grad school and we start doing our own research are a bit different to the actual cultural values that we should probably ascribe to and that kind of creates a
1: mismatch. Well but I mean it's not it's not just ascribing to but that that we should act by, right? Like because I I don't think I don't think there's as much of an issue of people not as not not ascribing to these norms. I think the issue is mm-hmm. more about acting like um Like it as well, right? Because there was that there was that survey of actually actually looked at um, Matonian, some the norms that we're going to get to in a minute, um, and and sort of asked scientists about this, and they you know like overall like when you ask scientists do you ascribe to these norms they go yeah I mean sure, right? But it's about acting like it as well, I guess maybe maybe we should go go through them
0: one by one and have a reflection on. Whether we actually act like this um so the um there's there's four merton's norms there's communalism, which at one point also was called communism, i think then yes. there's universalism, <laughs> disinterestedness, and skepticism, so I've seen different resources sometimes add in originality so that like you should always produce something new, but it's sometimes in there, sometimes not. And I think we understand originality quite well. So I think let's discuss about uh communalism and then we can get onto universalism, disinterestedness, and skepticism. Uh because I think it's they're they're quite they're all really interesting. Um so what guys, what do you think we might what might be the cultural value behind the name communalism? Aka communism. <laughs> um, Sophia's just doing like serving
1: on platter hand movements. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to do it. Um, so um, I'd say communism is basically uh, the sort of the underlying norm for um, all things capital O open. Kind of this idea that uh, science doesn't belong to individual researchers but belongs to all of us as a community of scientists and you know more widely um the, the general public and probably especially tax taxpayers
0: i think there's a lot of things that can flow into this that we've really now kind of all put under open science you know we need to share our findings we need to with you know other academics but also with the public you know they're not our ownership our data is not under our ownership um and and that this should all be open because it's all built on the same knowledge base and I think something that I didn't really think about a lot till I read about Merton's Norms was this idea you know like if I make a make an amazing finding and i pub- for example I publish it in nature or something, like I actually don't own that like that was that amazing finding maybe was built on the well it was built on the back of thousands of other researchers of my lecturers of my mentors of all the community that all worked together and so we all we all play a part in kind of these key findings so you cannot attribute them to one person in a way um and that so that we can has,
1: all put your nature publication on our cvs
0: yes <laughs> well, but it's, I've I've been <laughs> reflecting
1: about this load. No,
0: because I I'm like I'm in an institution where I sit next to like I know a lot of engineers, and they're all now under increasing pressure to like spin out companies. So you have this amazing finding, you then you then like package it and then you sell it to venture capitalists, and then they make a lot of money, or and you maybe make a lot of money, and then it's privatized like that just goes against that norm doesn't it like in a way yeah i don't know
2: i don't know i I always find it almost a a barrier or like a disentangling that i kind of want to do between almost like a academia and industry in that kind of like they can both do sciencey related things but from a kind of more science point of view it's supposed to be for the communality and kind of benefit of all side of things whereas on the other side of things it feels a little bit more like it's like commercializing science just feels squiffy to me but
1: we're doing that anyway right like anytime like anytime you know you're publishing something in a fancier journal maybe um aren't you commercializing what you're doing to some extent because you're like the idea is that you get a career benefit from it which is Tangible money, um some some way down the road. I don't know. And we
0: sell our rights to private publishing companies as well.
1: <laughs> so I don't know. I think it's well. You can avoid that, right? I mean, there's the oh, like I, mean, I don't know. Because uh, I, I I looked into this a bit recently, right? So you look here, you've got things like the Spark Addendum. Um, you can do all kinds of stuff where, um like, either the publishers actually agree to it or. You know, they don't see it, but then they signed it, and then <laughs> it doesn't matter, and you can still keep it, right? So, like, there are ways to keep to keep your rights, but anyway, that's that's off. That's that's not that part of the point, but I think it's important because it's weird.
0: Well, I think you need to you need to provide us links to this Spark addendum thing. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's cool, but yeah, I think we we see that there's well i I don't want to stay stay really long on each one of these, but you already see that while we might like nod our heads and go like "Yes, yes, communalism straight away, the moment you start thinking about this more and more, the more there are already kind of these underlying tensions, even yeah, when we just talk about it ah uh, any any last minute burning comments on communalism no. You shall now hold your peace on communalism because we're going to talk about universalism. Um, So universalism, I've seen quite a lot of different ways that people define universalism. Uh, The one that I kind of understood best was that it's like that everybody can contribute to science and we should value every person's idea equally. Like we shouldn't... If, like, the big professor at big institution X says, you know, this theory is true, we should treat that statement the same as when it's a grad student or if it's somebody in a different country or, you know, if it's our friend or not our friend. And so um, this universalism is that, yeah, that we should treat all of these
1: ideas pretty much the same. Oh, all things being equal. Right, so if the if the professor said if the professor just says I think this is true, that should be the same as the grad student saying I think this is true, but probably that doesn't hold that much power because it's because it's just a statement. I think that the statement I think this is true, right? So like so, assuming that they they give it that they give you the same amount of evidence and argument, it shouldn't matter whether it's a grad
2: student or the head of the department or whatever.
0: Right? Yeah, I think so.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think that is, I think it's the evidence that's the important, right? Because my, my initial sticking point with this was there's naturally people that we know do better work and know do what, like less work. And therefore we might naturally fall to trusting results of one person versus another. But again, I think that's actually comes back to the evidence more than it does the person, hopefully.
1: Um, is it completely unreasonable to, um, to let your judgment be at least somewhat led by what you already know about uh, this person, like this, the person's uh, sort of reliability on uh, like, these uh, th- uh, these issues or like their background kind of thing. Obviously not entirely, like you, like, you shouldn't be just taking anything just for, at face value that, that someone tells you, but I do think it's reasonable to, like if, if you know, if you've got, so there's this, uh, right, that, how was it, Harry Collins, who's, that that's he's, he's, he's that nice thing where, where it's like obviously like oh no, I don't I can't remember but it's something where it's like but basically like if if someone if if you're being told someone it's, it's something by someone who's like reading I oh, would well, I guess that comes back to e- evidence someone was like reading goats and trails is the thing but that, that comes back to evidence because of course you you can you can hear that but basically if you know that usually this person is like reading tea leaves and telling telling you things based on that. Um and the other person you know is is someone who you know does really robust stuff. That I then and they, they both say the same thing? Isn't it reasonable to at least initially believe the person that you know has a really solid background more
2: than the person that reads tea Leaves? No, that that's kinda of exactly what my initial reaction was as well. I guess I guess the way that I'd sort of try and get around it a little bit is that in some way there should be evidence or at least accumulating evidence that helps you to then know that like one person has more of a slant in one direction or does less reliable work. So in some way it still kind of comes back to the evidence just in a kind of yeah. more more complicated way. But just not by rank. Yeah. That's kinda of my sort of I mean, I guess there's some things that you maybe can't disentangle, so if if people are Kind of arguing from a consistently quite obviously, like heavily biased perspective, um, then you can kind of get to a point where you just think, yeah, I don't, I don't trust the objectivity of this person, for example. Um, Is anyone really objective? Well, yeah, there is that. (laughs) But in theory, we should be able to assess that, right? So it's still like a evidence based rationale for trusting someone more than someone else, rather than it being a hierarchy based rationale.
1: Though the two can often be related, right? So I
0: I think maybe it leads us well into let's let's go to the very end so the last one that i mentioned was uh skepticism and so it's this kind of universal uh that you need to be skeptic on like all these different claims and you need to be really scrutinizing everything and that goes into kind of um Quite modern ways of conceptualizing science as well. I've been listening to a lot of TED talks of different philosophers of science about you know what it is to do science, and it's all about you know we need to self-police our ideas, we need to be critical of everything and skeptical of everything, and so maybe the way those two are combined is that. It reminds me of Philip Stark wrote um, a commentary in Nature saying that science should be show me, not trust me. You know, and a lot of times we have journal articles that kind of we need to just trust that it's right. But actually, science needs to show all the different pieces of the evidence uh, so that we can be sceptical. Uh, and I think I I agree with the scepticism a lot. You know, it's the one of them where I'm like, yeah, we do if we're doing science then we need to be organized skeptics.
1: Yeah, just 100%, yes.
2: Is in theory, like going back to the whole teaching thing, is kind of in theory taught to us, but I think in practice isn't acted on? Yeah. If if I'm being super uber critical, like how many papers, even amongst us who talk about being skeptical a lot, have you cited when you've only actually read the abstract and skimmed half the paper or in grant applications that are largely like super selective kind of citing of evidence and shit I need I need a name here to put in and it kind of just becomes zero skepticism at all
1: or back to undergrad, where you've got the fake skepticism that's, that that that, uh, that you're being taught, right? This kind of thing of like, oh, you know, you need to be, you need to criticize these. Oh yeah, Avery is like, yes, yeah, we've talked about this before. Um, yeah, you need to criticize um, the papers. You know, you need to show that you're you're critically engaging with this. But what you're doing is just saying the sample size is too low, <laughs> um, and like, well, what's what's the other usual thing? The sample size is low and uh, weird, also weird population, yeah. So it's just it's basically just about sampling and it applies to every every single thing but you don't actually go into anything deeper
0: Yeah and I don't think we teach skepticism in a way that like I have taught students and at least in the UK if you want to get the highest mark which is a first you need to be kind of original and the way that in psychology originality is described is more or less you need to be critical and you need to you know and more or less that that should be really playing into that skepticism you know those the students should be literally critically assessing these things. But in the end, it becomes like a jump through the hoop exercise where every undergrad has a selection of five different criticisms and then they just like add them to the essay. Um, And yeah, like I, I was I was shattering somebody else's teaching and more or less what he was saying is that for every paper you put in your essay, you need to criticize it. And so, you know, that's what they do. But it's not skepticism. It's not organized skepticism
2: yeah when it's not integrating that skepticism into your understanding of the the material or the field or the theory right it's it's just saying here's like a a check mark bad thing about this paper. It's not actually like using that to to inform how we think about it, yeah
0: yeah, so I think we we're trying to keep these episodes shorter, so let's move on <laughs> to the last one uh I love Merton's norms, so I could talk about these for hours, but maybe you know short and sweet uh disinterestedness um disinterestedness, I think is the one which is probably also something that intrinsically we say yes to, but it's actually really hard, and that means like you shouldn't put self interest or kind of gains uh in front of you know doing science uh or this common scientific enterprise as he says. Um so you know if you're if this is your pet theory and your grant or your job depends on it and you don't find evidence for it you should act just as if that was you know the theory of the person you hated <laughs> most in the world probably um you know we need to be completely disinterestedness actors um which kind of i guess goes against human psychology
1: Yeah I think this is, I think this might be impossible in the current system I mean, I mean, I'm not sure if I'm not sure if it's even possible to design this, to, to redesign that system in a way that that's um, not the case, but like, you know, so even if, so outside of having to find the right things or whatever, um, you know, like it's, it's even, even choosing a, a research area, um, might be affected by that kind of thing, you know? Um, cause it's not, it's not like, it's not like you can just, well, I mean, at least I guess at the point where you're trying to get money, like grant money for it, um, Like you can't, like, you can't just, uh, get money for anything, right? Like, so it's not like in the olden days where you would, uh, write a letter saying I would, I would like a hundred thousand, uh, I don't know, old pounds, (laughs) um, for this and then you would get it. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not actually sure. Like, can, is this, is this possible at all? Like, like outside of, uh, uh, like, even if, even if you, um, like you, you, you don't have to compromise your values when it comes to, um. Basically lying about your results, like literally, just yeah. Is it is it possible to, to to be completely disinterested in the current system, even if what you find is positive, just regularly kind of thing?
2: I think it can be helped, but like there can be there can be things put in place, right, that kind of help to to not fool yourself, to avoid like the biases that we've talked about before and selective whatever. But no, we're we're subjective creatures. So I, I think that like And it's dis- a career.
1: This is, is a weird thing, right? Like this is this yeah. this is like, it's like this this disinterestedness but at like um as as a norm, but at the same time having science as a career where you're like where you're a career scientist, that doesn't work.
0: I think you're talking to the ideas of uh my all type hero, Jerry Rabbits, who actually I was reading up for on Merton for this talk uh, talk this podcast and um, <laughs>
1: busted
0: <laughs> no, and he was commenting on Merton. I found an article, but he's um he had this idea of the industrialization of science that science has changed throughout kind of the the last couple of decades to become more industrialized so instead of it being these gentlemen scientists who just go and they like you know test theories for the sake of testing theories and they get their money through kind of philanthropic ways yeah I'm, I'm waving my hands as in magical wonder um, they go we're now in a state where we are funded to solve practical problems it's a very much a regimented way of getting money we need to Uh, deliver these solutions or ideas to then get more money. There's more and more scientific workers because more and more society wants science to solve these issues, and so quality control becomes hard. And more or less, we become kind of like an industrialized kind of discipline. Um, and I think you're talking into that is that maybe this this disinterestedness is just not possible in an industrialized state of science where we are just workers on a factory floor and we need to get our products done to just, you know, come back the next day and, and work on that factory floor again.
1: Yeah, I think, exactly. I think we can strive to be as disinterested as possible, but I do not think that pure disinterestedness in that sense is like, just at all possible in
2: this system. I guess maybe there's places where the disinterestedness this, this kind of comes more or less into play. So like, if we can be disinterested in the direction of the outcome of result, right, then that's kind of ideal. But you're never gonna get rid of some like interest in the question, right? So there's there's always gonna be drivers that kind of go against this norm, but maybe there's it's kind of okay sometimes and less good when it's kind of skewing our view of reality. Does that make sense? Am I just rambling?
0: i think i think it might be in in no i think it might be i I think it might be i think it's like orthogonal to kind of the the argument i just made in a way that like yes we can strive to be disinterested in for example the direction of our hypothesis um and in the way we act and that is like on the level of our day-to-day actions you know definitely we can strive for that but then if we go up a meta level and we think of like scientists as little pawns on a game and a chess field and you know there are ways in which we have to act there's kind of no way we can be disinterestedness on that meta level you know those chess pieces need to survive <laughs>
1: i don't know that yeah. was sophia what do you think you yeah, know i think i think thinking of levels makes sense um, yeah, Um because I think even even if you think that you're disinterested on that meta level and like I I would you know I would say that I like I, I'm in a position right now where I can be somewhat disinterested because I've just I mean like I've got the next three years and I'm at least in meta science and not like that like sort of in a field where I can where I can you know well where good and open and whatever the science is actually rewarded and uh, whatever so I, I guess, like, probably I'm in a better position than I could be. But I'm not disinterested. That's impossible.
2: Maybe a way to, like, reframe it, or the way that I kind of like thinking about this is is almost like the organized skepticism, but for yourself. Like, it's really easy to be skeptical of other people's work, right? But we just, in general, tend to be less skeptical of our own. so. Maybe kind of thinking of it a little bit more as kind of holding ourselves to the standards that we kind of want to see in the world a little bit more,
1: yeah, but then I don't know I think I think you can be aware of the fact that you're not completely disinterested, but I think that's the that's the best you can do, and I don't think you can yeah, yeah. but I may, maybe maybe that's the same as with like objectivity or whatever that you can't like that I'm like you can't you can't be objective, you're human, and like same thing with disinterested.
0: Episode two will be about is science subjective? <laughs> oh no,
1: are humans subjective or objective?
0: No, um, I think and it'll we need just to just be
1: Sophia going on a big round. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, we 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 have to uh, wrap up this episode, but I guess we, you know, we really did discuss these that science can be different things, and we often just assume we will pick up the the norms, and maybe we do, but it's m- maybe not those cultural values that merton describes but then the the cultural values that merton describes we're quickly to nod our heads and say yes yes but but they they yeah i think we have seen in our discussion that there's a lot more to talk about and a lot more to think about um when we we talk about
1: those um well i hope Oh, sophia <laughs> I think that this. Are, sorry, this is. I mean, sorry, you're you're doing such a nice wrap up, but I, <laughs> I'm just completely hijacking it, because it no, because like this disinterestedness in thing, I hadn't thought about this properly before, and it's bothering me a lot. And I think it might be like like with altruism that it like actually like you're like oh yeah, no, of course you can be altru- t- t- altruistic, but then you think about it and you're like, no, you cannot. And I think this, I think things might be the same with the disinterestedness. Like you really want to be disinterested, and you can be in some ways, but you cannot be in a pure sense, not in the system.
0: I think maybe we'll have to revisit this in kind of a- another episode. But I I do I see where you're coming from. Um <laughs> no, Sorry, no, no, the, no. i is really that.
1: bothering me right now that you can't be completely disinterested. I wasn't I didn't think about this.
0: Why don't we um well, if our listeners have any opinions, um, you know, I think Sophia will probably really love to hear them. Um and maybe we can yes, please figure out uh, another episode of those um but yeah well thank you for listening in the next episode we will talk about something fun and interesting about replications um so I hope you join us then but yeah thank you for listening
1: thanks bye, bye.